Yes, hello and welcome to For and Against. We are back for season 2024. Happy New Year to you, if, uh, if you can say that sort of thing in, in Feb. Uh, we're back after our break over the non-ratings period uh, where we return to look at the big issues in sport off the field of play. It's Paul Roach with you here as always, and I am joined by our man on the ground in the self-described sporting capital of the world, Stephen Riley. G'day, Riles. Self-described? What are you on about? It's described this way by everybody. Everybody. In anyway, Melbourne. I suppose. Now, Hi, Paul. Uh, it, Hi, everyone. How it, are you? <laughs> it seems that we've uh, we've lost someone over the break because uh, normally I'd be welcoming Simon Johnson at this point. Uh, but perhaps the silly season got that bit too much for him, as I have an empty chair beside me. So no Jono this show. Uh, last report in late January had him, and I quote from the man himself, going out in style with beers and wings and fries at a Stanford sports bar watching the 49ers win against Detroit. So oh. suffice to say, his study tour is going well. So no wonder he's not here. He could be gone for a while. When you said um, you know, now, you'd lost one, I thought, how careless of you. But you haven't lost him at all. He ran away. Exactly. He's scarpered. Now, Steve, uh, what summer sporting feats did you achieve or events did you get to during the summer since we signed off in December of 2023 before we get into the show proper wow. and into report How on presumptuous of you that, that I have returned to my amazing world-class sporting ways. Um, let me see. Let me see. Um, there's almost too many to count, but if I had to, I'd say my golf you know, oof, you know, started around that 14 handicap. You wouldn't know what that means. But, it, well, actually, Lovely. you don't know what that means. So let me just say it's incredibly good. 14, come on. I know that's <laughs> not bad. Not a lot more. I watched, uh, I watched a bit of sport. I watched a lot of sport. I watched my daughter swim the Peter Pub for the first time down at Lawn, which was very, very Peter proud. Pub. Uh, community sport. What sort of distance is that for us non-Melbourneites? Uh, so Lawn has a uh, relatively, has a, a lovely beach down there, but they've got a pier that's about oh, one, 1.2 kilometres out from the beach. And uh, they have uh, a swimming race. It's like a, it's like a fun run. Can you have a fun swim? It's like that. So you nope. have some serious people no chance, in front. Not that distance. And then everybody else lining up behind. So I don't know, 7,000 7, odd people I think swim. It's a big fun swim. There you go. There you go. Uh, we got to bit a big bash uh, up here, a regular season game, and also the final uh, at the SCG. Our Sixers fans a bit disappointed at the result there. Well done, the Heat. Uh, I also managed to get the days one to three, as in, well, one, two, three, and one to three at the uh, SCG, the SCG test there. So a Davey Warner off. And I also got to, speaking of daughter Steve, I also got to the Governor General's 11 versus South Africa Women's 2020 at wow. North Sydney Oval. Mm-hmm. And uh, look, fair to say there wasn't a big crowd for it. It was a Wednesday afternoon. The reason I got along is that my, oh, hang on, it was my son, not my daughter. Anyway, because uh, my son was one of the anthem kids, if that's the right terminology. So when they all lined up for the anthems, my boy was one of the little fellas that was stood in front of one of the players. That's awesome. He was a bit, he was, but he was pretty devoted that he was on the South African side. What? <laughs> that traitor. Oh, my goodness. That's outrageous. <laughs> So we got the dark green top and the dark green hat. He was pretty yeah, – there were tears. There were quite literally tears. Um, but anyway, uh, that was our summer of sport. Uh, ahead in the show, however, which is what people are here for, we'll be looking at a few things in cricket, uh, appropriately enough, including the contentious playing on Australia Day thing. 
Uh, we'll also look back at the success and or otherwise of the Australian Open. Uh, Netflix finally carrying live sport in deliberate inverted commas. A little bit of golf uh, to show that we don't just do it when Jono's here. And of course, we'll wrap up the show with red card, yellow card. Now, please do get involved in, re- in red card, yellow card by using that hashtag RCYC on your favourite social media outlet to let us know if you see any misdemeanours or misdeeds from sporting types around Australia and around the world. But for now, let's get into the show. Yeah, so cricket each year seems to bring more and more introspection and controversy around the current date of our national day. Now, while the broader societal and political discussion around that is largely outside the remit of for and against, a subset of that discussion that does fall into our hitting zone, if you will, is the question of whether sport should be played on Australia Day. Now, last year, you might recall, the beginning of 2023, we had Ash Gardner, an Indigenous lady who plays in our national side. She said that playing a women's 2020 versus Pakistan on Australia Day, as they did, didn't sit well with her. And that was a view that was, quote-unquote, supported by Cricket Australia. Indeed, I even read about this in researching the show on the official cricket website. Uh, But notwithstanding that, they still scheduled the match on that day. Uh, And uh, this year we had people speaking out about the Gabba test being played across five days that included Australia Day. And indeed, Ash Gardner also spoke up about this. So, Steve, I don't know. I'm I'm sort of concerned we might have crossed a bit of a Rubicon on this one. I'm all for being sensitive, obviously, to our Indigenous brothers and sisters and what Australia Day might mean to them. But it's not Christmas Day. The the show does go on and this five-day test happens to span the 26th of January. It is a public holiday. You can understand why sports organisations put a test match on at that time. I think we need to talk about it, Paul, and I don't just mean the two of us. I I think Australia needs to talk about it. I think that you can't have a national day of unity that's not a national day of unity. And whether it's right or wrong, you can't do it. So I'm all for playing cricket on Australia Day, but I'm not sure that January 26 works anymore as that day. And to those who are sort of really strongly trying to defend when it is, I, I think my, my key question comes back to, well, what are we trying to celebrate? Are we trying to celebrate, you know, uh, the, the day the first fleet got here or are we trying to celebrate a national day? And I think overwhelmingly everyone will agree on the second one, not the first one. And so my view is that we should play cricket on Australia Day. It just shouldn't be January 26. And I have a solution, by the way. I know what day mm-hmm. it should be. And this you're hearing it here first. Lovely listeners, you too, Paul. Breaking. Breaking news. The best day to have the new Australia Day is the second of the second. It's when... The second of the second. Two nations, two histories, two groups come together as one. You know, I could do two and one and two. I thought about the first of February, but it gets mixed up. Just two, two. And, you know, Mm -hmm. the best thing about it is that it's still close enough to the summer that hopefully everyone's school holidays get extended by a week and <laughs> we can still celebrate Australia Day in summer. This is where you're winning the votes. Yeah, it's, okay. It's and a, look, it's still... A man of the just, people, Paul. Yeah. It, it, it extends the silly season by an extra, what's that, five, well... It's a week. Uh, seven days. It's an yeah, extra week. perfect. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, well, dare I suggest that a change of the date is probably a little while away because I'm not sure that there's a massive 
overriding public support. In some quarters there is, but in some quarters I think there's not. It'll be contentious. It'll happen one day, but I don't know. It could be a little while. So let's assume the status quo for a moment, and this is probably the angle I was more interested in exploring. Next year, okay, you know, what are we doing next year? In 12 months' time, the date's not going to change, right? So, I mean, what do we do? Do we not schedule a test from the 22nd to the 30th of January? Because if you do, one of those days will be Australia Day. I mean, that's commercially not very sensible, blanking out a, blanking out a whole a week and a half, saying tests can't be held there. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you can't accuse Cricket Australia of ramping up jingoistic fervour on, on that day. And they're, you know, they're, they're doing the classic corporate thing where they actually really downplay that side of things and they're very understanding, publicly understanding and empathetic to the, um, you know, the, the view of the people that don't like celebrating Australia Day. Um, so I don't know. You've got Cummins coming out in support of, of saving the date. So it's not like they're not like Cricket Australia is using that day as going, yeah, this is all about Australia and yeah, aren't we wonderful and of stuff. It just, they're playing a test match that happens to run across Long weekend. That's why yeah. they're doing it. It makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. And I think for to Australian Cricket Australia's credit, they I think they just called it January twenty sixth this year, didn't they? There was a bit of that, yeah. Mm. <clears throat> yep. Did you know that India's main national day is also the twenty sixth of January? Did I you know did that? actually. I did. Yeah. Yeah. One of my one it's... of my favorite books is Midnight's Children by Salman Rushdie. I recommend it to everybody. And when mm-hmm. you and it pretty much starts on that day. The first one in 1940, bugger. I'm saying 50. It's a celebration of the adoption of their new constitution. Independence was in 1947 on a different date. But, um, yeah, their Republic Day um, is is 26th of January. And maybe Australia could take a leaf out of India's book and just become a republic, problem solved. Um, And, I I mean, India played a test on that day, but presumably, I don't know this for a fact, but presumably they don't have the, the lack of unity around that day that obviously we do at the moment. Anyway. You, you know, uh, I think you're right. And when Australia becomes a republic, it should be on the 2nd of the 2nd. I like your ideas, Steve. I don't mind it. I don't mind it at all. Now, speaking of the Gabba test, uh, what a win for the West Indies. And, and dare I say that as an Aussie, but it's a very welcome win, to be honest with you, in my opinion. For cricket, it's a great day for cricket, especially test cricket. And for, for test cricket in particular to remain sustainable long-term... We need as many nations as possible interested and also being competitive in the longest form of the game. So if anything, the Australia, England, India triumvirate actually needs to be playing these minnows. It sort of feels a bit wrong to be calling the West Indies minnows, but for the currently they kind of are. Pick a label you're comfortable with. We need to be playing those kind of teams more often, not less. They need to be exposed to the heat of the battle, the you know, the best of the best kind of thing. And um, good on them. I was super pleased for them. I'm sure I wasn't the only one. Well, it's the power of sport, isn't it? That on any given day, anyone can beat anyone else. I mean, we saw through the Australian Open on the on the women's side of the draw, you know, all sorts of, of surprises. And then on the men's side, we saw Djokovic go down. And I think it's the power of sport that you can't just, uh, you know, turn on the computer and and speculate who wins based on the odds. You actually have to turn up. You have to play the game. And this is why Test Cricket is so good. Because a couple of good innings, a bit of luck going one way and the other, you know, a, a, a double, a, what do you call it, a, a king king pair, king pair of golden mm. ducks for arguably our best player. Well, yeah, you know, one of the one of our best players of the last year, um, and a standout performance by uh, a, a debutante 
that's what sports all about. I, I, I think your point that we should play them more often is commercially challenged. You know, I, I agree. I, I didn't say we should for financial reasons. I was saying in the context of the the, the good of the game, and I don't mean some sort of altruistic thing, but I mean for the sustainability of the the sport, especially Test match cricket. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I do agree with that. I just don't know that we're solving that in the right way. I mean, putting Pakistan and the West Indies together here over the summer, maybe that's the best way to do it. But I, I, I don't know that it's you're not better coupling them with one of the the big guns coming through. I'm, I'm struggling mm. with that as it feels like a like a practice summer, and I'm not sure that that actually achieves what you wanted it to achieve. Mm. Well, maybe we have to play one or two or three practice summers occasionally or practice half a summer in order to, for our, for our long-term benefit. So we do have people to play. We're not just playing England and India every second second summer um, because that'll become silly. I mean, South Africa's probably up there as well. But, you know, if commercially it's India, Australia and England and, and to daylight, well, fourth. No, I, um, I don't. I, I think South Africa is, you know, jumping in with the rest. You saw they sent, a, um, being generous, a third-string team yep. to New Zealand, uh, They've, and the, the crowds over there are not showing a huge amount of support. Oh, I think, uh, yeah, you're right. Of course you're right, Paul. We, we need yeah, to keep these countries alive. Yeah, you, just someone record that and send it back to me on social media. I'd record it for posterity. I don't say it very often. But it's. Uh, I think you're right on this one. Of course I am. Well done, Wendy's. And uh, he's hoping that is indeed good for the co- continued development of Test cricket in that country and indeed around the world. Now, Steve-O, there was something that caught your attention about the selections in the ICC Test Team of the Year for 2023. What did you spy? I loved this one. I loved this one because it sticks it up the palms just one more time. So the ICC uh, announced a Test Team of the Year, the name of Test Team, One Day Team, or, you know, I don't know, anything that, that, that sounds interesting. They put together a team. Anyway, the wicketkeeper for the best test team in the world from all the countries, from all the countries, was Alex Carey. Yes, our Alex yeah. Carey. <laughs> our Alex Carey, whose brilliant wicketkeeping arguably retained the ashes. <laughs> and, and caused a rift across the world for at least six months because they still they still bring it up from time it'll, to time. It'll be a couple of years, mate. You wait when they're down here uh, next next year. No, the year after, they'll, they'll they'll bring it up. Actually, as we as we talk right here right now, Steve, as we record, um, the anniversary of the first underarm or the underarm delivery, I should say, Trevor Chappell's underarm delivery happened very very recently. It's on the first of, first of Feb. Uh, and I did read one wag suggest that that should be our national day. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent choice. Anyway, now I wanted to just to go domestic here. It's the ACT is trying to muscle in on all this cricket action, not content uh, to just host the PM's 11. Exaggerating, they do actually host a few other things down there at Monica these days. Um, but Cricket ACT wants to be dealt in to the table that is ownership of Cricket Australia, and also to get a BBL and a women's BBL team up and running. Uh, Apparently, and it's not surprising, there is significant resistance on the part of the other states. But is that a bit short-sighted, Steve? Surely growing the pie and getting a slice of an ever-expanding pie is better than just shutting up shop? Well, this one's an interesting one, isn't it? You know, if we were to follow your logic earlier about growing the pie, about, you know, supporting the, the minor 
cricketing nations, then I suppose it makes sense to support the minor cricketing states as well. Mm. But but I wonder, I wonder what it what the unintended consequences of this might be. Uh, I think you're right. We we do have the Prime Minister's Eleven playing there every year, and and you know I, I think you see. Is it one or two of the state games in down end up down there? Yeah, and you occasionally you occasionally get a, an international game down there. Yeah, certainly on the women's side. Yeah, look, as a chance to uncover talent, that would be great. But what I think it it, it brings to light is that we don't promote state cricket enough. And and when I say that, I mean mm. Shield cricket. You know, I mean Shield cricket. If they just want to get into BBL, then I think that's the wrong answer. I think they need to be supporting the base, the roots, Mm. and I think Cricket Australia need to start thinking about how they can use an extra entrant or two. If we're going to put in the ACT, then the NT is not far behind. Mm. And, uh, and, And then we start to grow domestic cricket and put some effort into it. Look, I think the challenge with NT is just population base. Because when I don't know, Alice is what thirty thousand, Darwin's what fifty, hundred thousand max. I would have thought, and then you've kind of got nothing much else. And I do mean that respectfully, Northern Territory. I mean, Canberra has almost half a mil, and I think I read something that's projected to have nudging eight hundred in the not too distant future. Um, so there's, you know, there's. I mean, Canberra, for example, and maybe we'll talk about this later on in another show. But Canberra is looking, knocking on the door of an, an A League men's side. They already have an A-League women's side. Um, so I think there's a bit more critical mass in Canberra. There's a population base. Let's call but it for what it is. That, that only makes sense if you have to grow your own, Paul. I don't know that they... I mean, that, that's an argument for Canberra because they can go and grab folks from the far, far southwest of Sydney and mm. they, they might be closer to Monica Oval than to the SCG. Well, Brad Haddon's virtually an ACT boy, you know, Queen Bianne. Yeah. Um, and... Um, yeah, I'll be interested to see how that pans out. As, as you say, it's, um, it'll be interesting. But I think um, another point there worth going back to is just that the closed the closed shop mindset versus the let's grow it. So, I mean, you, your points are valid, Steve, about you know what how you actually do that. But then there's, um, whilst I don't profess to completely understand the reasons for the resistance, it does on the face of it seem a bit sort of short-sighted. And it, in fact, it reminds me very much, and again, as we record today, this, this happened um, very, very recently, that... Formula One announced, or essentially, you're there. Formula One announced that a bid by Andretti Motorsport slash Cadillac, so two very big names in motor racing and indeed the motor industry itself, have been denied entry uh, mm. into into Formula One. So again, all the resistance, very much so on the part of the existing team owners, uh, they already make plenty of money. Why dilute um, the takings, kind of thing? That's but that's again, not why they did it. Oversimplifying. It's- it's, that's not why they said no. It's because Cadillac wanted to have a great, big, long model car that was big <laughs> and impossible to park. You know, and wanted leather seats. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, look, lastly on cricket, uh, and speaking of BBL, Jeff uh, Henry Lawson has called for, and admittedly somewhat cautiously, the introduction of private ownership into the BBL. So his argument, uh, condensing this heavily, goes uh, something like that we need the money to be flowing into the game, into the administration of the game, to support the grassroots, which will ensure the sustainability of the game because it then provides the talent for the money money spending levels of the game. So an interesting suggestion, and he's, part of his caution is only suggesting one or two teams at least initially be privately funded. And clearly we've got the IPL as the obvious example of, sort of capitalism run rampant there with all privately owned uh, owned clubs 
what it seems to me a fairly successful league at the moment as it is you know essentially owned by cricket australia but i do sort of see his point that um you know we're inevitably drawn towards these big pockets big um pots of money uh that that is t20 and we can't sort of ignore that we're not just domestic league there's league there's international pressures as well so i got a mixed view on this one paul i think i get where you're coming from and i think it would make sense if the money were to help grow the game and therefore grow the grassroots but we've had one of the biggest most successful bbl seasons in some time and it's interesting mm. if you'd asked me this a few seasons ago when they were struggling when it looked like the maybe the idea had, had jumped the shark a little bit then maybe i'd have been more open to it but surely this year if if anything shows that cricket australia doesn't need a, a private equity mob who are putting money in to try and fatten it up to sell it to another commercial concern it, it's all well and good for henry to say that you know we should should take the money and use it to to grow the grassroots. I'm all for everyone who's listened to me for 120 something shows now should should know I'm all for putting money in the grassroots. But this is actually this this is actually sharing you know giving a share of the deed to cricket in return for growing the grassroots. So so just be you know you want to have a really clever contract and a really clever exit uh, option for Cricket Australia if they would ever do something like that. There is a way to do it well, but, mm. boy, there is a downside risk. Yeah. Yeah, there would be fairly substantial. But um, yeah, in, in, the other interesting little fact uh, I came across here was that Cricket Australia takes a 10% clip of centrally contracted Australian players who play in the IPL. I did not know that. Mm. You're nodding like you did know that. Why did you not tell me earlier, Steve? Well, I, 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 where does it come up? Hey, uh, Paul, you want a beer? And did you know? Um, you know it's, hey, it's, I'm happy with that. Look, there's a good contract. There's there's Cricket Australia looking ahead a little bit. Uh, and, you know, swings and roundabouts. They got a lot of money out of Pat Cummins and Mitchell Stark this, IBL, uh, this IPL mm. season. They got nothing out of Steve Smith. Go figure. Yeah. Or Hazelwood. Mm. Oh, is it, my goodness, is it, after his season. Imagine that. Go figure. Yeah. Is it 10% of the contract amount that we see published or is it another? Is it a 10% fee on top of that? Do you know? Yeah, I don't know. Look, when they have that auction, oh, I've got to go do some research on this one year. When they do the auction I uh, and they quote those you know, eye-watering sums, I'm not sure of the division of it all um, and whether it all goes to the player or, or elsewhere. I'll ask me again next auction. I'll promise I'll come back to you. I was just going to say, that is homework for the next auction, Stephen. You need to report back to For and Against with your detailed analysis of how the IPL auction works. However, until such time, I think we've uh, very much covered cricket, so let's move on to the shootout. Yes, the shootout where we cover a a number of topics in slightly shorter fashion, uh, which isn't hard given the Quite justifiable time we gave cricket just then. Uh, I want to start with tennis. The Australian Open, or the AO, as I'm hearing the kids call it these days, Steve. Uh, the Australian Open clicked over a million punters attending the tournament that was recently concluded, helped in part by starting a day early. Now, uh, Roz, you were telling me earlier there were a few important innovations introduced this tournament, not just going for a 15th day. What were they and how do you rate them? Take us through. Yeah, look, it, it was a tour de force by um, Tennis Australia, to be honest. They, they, every year, I think, 
show the world how it's done. There's plenty of players who are prepared to say it's it's the player's slam, it's their favourite slam, it's the most well-organised slam. I think in a way it's it's the most self-aware and commercially aware slam. And and you can sort of see it they're bringing forward the opening day one day to make it a 15-day event gives them a Sunday. It gives them a chance for people to come. It's mm. it's it's a bit of a no-brainer. I know that it's in school holidays, so you're pretty good when you're opening on a Monday. But you know you're going to be able to draw more people on a Sunday. So that one was a no-brainer. A couple of other ones were a bit riskier. Well, I mean, tell me what you think. You're allowing patrons to come in and out of the court between every game, not just every second game. Hmm. Uh, well, I mean, that caused a kerfuffle on the, on the court, didn't it, once or twice? But um, I, I like the idea in theory, but I think people need to be a bit um, courteous as well um, to actually make their seats. Maybe the, the stewards need to police it a little bit better. Maybe only so many people should be let in after the game. I'm not, not too sure. Well, but, this is uh, the catch, right? I mean, if, you've, if you've, you've ever frequented the Australian Open and you, you go out um, and then you, you, you get yourself a drink, whatever, you come back and you stand at the gate and you find out that this... This and the, this game goes for like twenty five juices, and then the game finishes, and you find out that was the first game, and then you wait for ten more juices, and then you have to rush in. Um, and there's a huge queue of people who rush in. This one it divides it up, it breaks it up. Um, oh, look, and, and to be honest, you know, have you seen a professional tennis player who doesn't want to take an extra fifteen to twenty seconds yeah, while people are taking their good seats? Good point. Good point. Good look, point. but if that one, if that one. Um, uh, worries you uh, the party court is is mm. one that I think is is gonna work. It's gonna take off. I, I just have one issue with it, which I'll get to. But essentially, it's a court where you don't have to be quiet, and that I think is a little bit of tennis of the future. That that's live golf, right? They've looked at the party yeah. hole and people yeah. just ignoring the whole quiet please and having a good time, and they've given it a go for tennis. Now, I think the catch is finding players who are okay being drawn on the party court. But <laughs> but I think there's something in this idea. What do you think? Uh, the people in the party court, the spectators in the party court, are they allowed to come and go as they please? Do they yep. have to wait for the end of the yeah, game? Yeah, you know, if you're quiet. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, actually, oh, I think it's... good question. From behind, I don't think you can move behind the behind the players. No, I might be wrong about that. There might be a balcony, I think, where you can come in and out. Mm, mm. No, look, I like the idea. I mean, I think that's... Um, Tennis runs the risk of making itself look very, very precious if it insists on silence across a fifteen thousand seat stadium or even a you know two hundred seat uh, outside court. So yeah, I like the idea in theory. To be honest with you, although it's a, it's a good point about um, players potentially being disadvantaged by you know being drawn in that court, but uh, it's the same for the other the person at the other end of the court as well, I suppose. But uh, the party court, yeah, look, I I like it. I like it, Steve. I, I like it. I, I want to see more of it with a little ca- bit of caution in my voice there, as you can tell. Golf, it doesn't matter. I mean, golf, talk about, you know, stuck up, super precious. So, you know, every hole should be a party hole just to sort of ruin the vibe for them. But, yeah, <laughs> tennis, I have a bit, bit more respect for tennis. I'm not too sure. We'll see how we go. Look, Is uh, it any uh, different the, the to best... the cricketer? You go on. Oh, the cricketer sort of waving 120 metres away because some security bloke is – just in the edge of their peripheral vision for, you know, I don't know. It's uh, That's a bit precious too for mine. Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, I think the world should be thanking the Australian Open. It, it's, it's, it's thinking about how to keep the sport relevant and interesting and evolving 
and and then you know there are bits and pieces going on elsewhere. Wimbledon, you know, just brought in uh, non-white bottom halves for female tennis players. It just goes to show that Radical. a whole lot of this etiquette for a <laughs> century plus was stupid. And and I think it says, hey, maybe there's some other things that we've we've put in the traditional basket that are just um, outdated. Mind mm. you, you know, they, they have they they've they're fearless. Right at the end of the tournament, uh, they said that they were looking at the role of doubles. It's just not drawing enough interest. And uh, mm. you know, I'd have regarded that as sacrilegious uh, not mm. that long ago. But then you know, then I thought about it. I thought, well. Maybe they can play on the party court. <laughs> well, actually, maybe you're onto something. Maybe the doubles courts are the party courts. Yeah. You're only just for the fun and a few beers and a bit of a chat with your friends. Get along and see some doubles. There you go. Problem solved. You did the, it. The daddy first. You did it. What a great idea. Well, I mean, it's, the Australian Open obviously sort of almost compelled over the years to be a bit of an incubator of good ideas because, it, you know, there wasn't a lot that long ago where it was at risk of being any relevance and players didn't come down for it. So... Good to see that the the ship has been turned around down there at Melbourne Park. Now, for years, we've been watching the Fang tech companies: uh, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google. Oh God, got them all well the time. done, Paul. That was awesome. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I've stumbled over that once or twice before, haven't I? Now we've been watching those companies circling live sport and wondering when they'll pounce, given their extraordinarily deep pockets. Now, there's certainly been a few nibbles, both here and overseas, and. Arguably one proper attack, just to continue the metaphor, that being Apple getting um, exclusive rights uh, at, uh, with the Major League Soccer for, I think it was 10 years. But now, here comes Netflix. Yes, Netflix has finally decided to go live sport. Well, that's if you consider WWE a sport, which obviously it isn't, but for the purpose of this discussion, it's a good proxy. Now, Riles, for some reason, your childhood fascination with WWE continues unabated. Um, but jokes aside, this is actually rather big, it seems to me. This is huge. You know, um, so first of all, Netflix have been putting this off and putting this off and putting this off. You know, there is clearly enough subscribers to warrant doing live sport on Netflix, but they've held back. And, and I think we all sort of had wondered why. Uh, honestly, I think a lot of it had to do with share price. I think a lot of it had to do with the, the ups and downs of how much they could invest in, in rights and the like. But then they've gone and they've made their first choice. You know, appointment viewing, they've gone for the longest-running episodic TV show in history. Actually, I'll take, take that back. What do you mean? Live TV show in history. The Simpsons beat it if you, uh, uh, if you want to take a, a weekly show. And that is WWE Monday Night Raw. And it's now going to, well, at, you know, next year, 2025, it's going to be shown on Netflix and they've play, paid a truckload of money in in mm. competition with all four American networks. And the WWE, now owned by TKO, they've, they've merged with um, uh, UFC, the UFC into this, 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 giant, uh, this giant company called TKO. They have they've backed them. Now, there's still going to be available other weekly shows like, uh, like SmackDown. They're still available on USA Networks, but it's... Uh, so there was a lot of competition for the product. Netflix has come out on top. Interesting, WWE backed them. Uh, but really most interesting is that Netflix are now into live destination mm. appointment television. Mm. Mm. Um, 
I mean, they've obviously been fairly happy to rely on, you know, the drive to survives, et cetera, et cetera, and they made their mark with those. Is there going to be an expansion of the content that is that is around WWE? Is that part of the plan, Steve-O, or is it more or less what is offered now elsewhere on an ESPN or what have you is just going to be transplanted to, to Netflix? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's just going to be transplanted at the moment. Uh, I, I think wow. everyone assumes that they'll go hard on some of the other product. Uh, what... what, what uh, some of our listeners might not know is that there is a library of of wrestling product that goes back uh, 40 years on WWE, actually probably a bit more actually, probably goes back in about 10 years before that. And then they've bought the libraries of a bunch of other wrestling federations. So I think, you know, um, what's a good example of, you know, World Championship Wrestling, you know, the NWA, they've, they've got a whole library of stuff that, they can do in documentaries, dozens and dozens and dozens. They can cross promote, grab a whole lot of people, and as you say, it was a childhood thing for me. Well, it's been an adulthood thing for me for a pretty long time now. I'm not that old, people. No. Yeah, actually, I am. And wrestling has come the whole way with me. I love it. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. <laughs> There's not enough hours in life, Steve. Is there? Like, you, all that back catalogue of stuff. I mean, you're never going to get through. You're not going to scratch the surface. Well, just, no, no, that's uh, true, but I, I mean, I saw a lot of it when it happened. So it's just a trip down memory lane for me. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Gosh. Yeah. Anyway, um, yes, snide um, <laughs> bickering between the two of us. It is. It would be very interesting to see how that goes, and obviously the other Fang companies will be watching that with great interest, no doubt. Uh, look, I've got a bit of a rant here for you, Steve, uh, about gambling, and it's not what you think. I am all in favour of ensuring the integrity of financial markets. One of the ways that we do this is generally jailing anyone who makes a profit from acting on market-sensitive, I'll try to say that again, market-sensitive information, right? So that is info that you and maybe a very small number of people know that, if known by the whole market, would impact the price of an asset, say shares, and you might know this as insider trading. What I'm not in favour of is extending such protections to betting giants, where am I going with this? Where are you going Betting with Betting is fundamentally a gamble on an unknown outcome, right? A sporting event, for example, which is why we rail at match fixing because it strikes at the heart of the unpredictability of sport. But when a poor, poor little betting behemoth decides to frame a market on an event, the outcome of which is most definitely known, albeit by a small group of people, because said outcome is determined by the judgment and the decision-making of said group of people, and possibly their close circle of friends, and they lose money because some of these people have a punt, I'm not prepared to let our legal system defend against their stupidity. And so, Steve, we have the ridiculous situation in which a Sydney man has been charged by the AFP, no less, for using inside information to bet on the outcome of Australian of the Year. Now, obviously a committee of people determine who the Australian of the Year will be before it's actually announced, right? So this falls into that category of something that's a known outcome event, albeit known by only a handful of people. So, per the ABC, AFP Commander Stephen Nutt, and I've got a feeling that name's familiar. I reckon he's come up in this show before, so hello again, Stephen, if you have indeed. Uh, Commander Stephen Nutt said, those who place bets using inside information were a key focus. Quote, Unlawful use of inside information undermines the integrity of events betting 
and disadvantages those who play by the rules. Integrity of events betting. We've got to, geez, we've got to make sure events betting integrity is upheld. The misuse of official or privileged information also erodes, get this, public trust in our institutions. We're not talking the Supreme Court here or the Reserve Bank. We're talking a Betfair or Ladbrokes or what have you. This is absurd, Steve. This is absurd and I don't like it. If you want to frame a market in an event where the outcome is known, be it on your head. Oh, I love it. Just drop that mic, Paul. Drop that mic. <laughs> I'm Paul Roach. You, you know what? <laughs> it's un-Australian. Un-Australian of you. Absolutely. Oh, good. Good, Paul. Good call. Glad you're with me there, Steve. Right, rant over. <laughs> Golf, last bit of the shootout here, Steve. Uh, you said um, that, sorry, that I believe, I believe you said that Tiger has said goodbye to another long-term relationship. What's going on in Tiger's life, Steve? Oh, my goodness. You know, so wonders never cease. The hell has frozen over. And it's frozen over in two ways. The first one is that Simon's not here and we're talking golf. And you brought it That's up. That's a good point. That mm. is phenomenal. In fact, maybe true. maybe maybe now that I think about it, you, you've only done this because Simon's not here. You're just rubbing <laughs> it in. You're just making sure he comes back. Nice. <laughs> You are an evil genius. Um, no, the um, look, the big news is that Tiger Woods is ending his sponsorship with Nike. Tiger Woods that has been, been with Nike for 27 time, years. Nike have paid Tiger Woods $745 million. US. US. Uh, actually, I might be wrong about that. Uh, I forget where oh, I got that probably. number from. It might have... Uh, Oh, it's, a it it's a lot of it money. It's a lot of money. Even though you do, that's still a fair lick. <laughs> it, it, it is. And um, no, they've split. The The rumour mill is that Tiger's heading to Talamade. I don't know what they're going to pay him. I don't know if he's going just because they've got better old man equipment. I don't know. But that Nike would let him go fascinates me. Just so that's what's happened? Nike has I, let him go? I don't know. They haven't done enough to keep him or, mm. you know, or or they, or they Tiger asked for too much. I, I don't know. But it is, mm. it, is, it is broken. One of the great relationships in sport is broken. There you go. 27 years. It's probably the longest relationship he's had. <laughs> nice. Well said. Look, there a couple of people, uh, there's a couple of seminal moments in go- golf that, Nike and Tiger Woods did do together. The red shirt on Sunday, um, it became a trademark for, literally, for Tiger Woods and for (laughs) Nike. The other is there was a moment in the US Masters where Tiger Woods did this incredible chip shot and it spun backwards down a hill all the way back to the hole and it wasn't going to make it, it wasn't going to make it, it wasn't going to make it. And then very, very, very slowly the ball just tipped over and the Nike logo where it just oh. came up into view and oh, it just no. almost sighed as it went, yeah, baby, and in the <laughs> hole it was. They got $745 million without a, that shot all by itself. Fair enough. That's brilliant. Oh, well, Tiger, look, uh, I wish you well in your, uh, your, your future endeavours and whatever new relationship you may land upon. On to red card, yellow card now, uh, where we uh, poke fun at sporting people who've done something silly off the field of play, something they'd rather that they'd forgot, that we forgot, I should say. 
Uh, but it's our job to drag it back into the spotlight. <laughs> Stephen Riley, what have you got as your nomination for a red card, what, yellow card? What a job that is. Look, I'm nominating Glenn Maxwell. Am I nominating him for falling off the back of a golf cart in India? No, I am not. Am I nominating him for you know breaking his leg at a mate's 50th, I think it was, and knocking himself out of cricket for a while when he was playing really well? No, I am not. <laughs> after all, after both of those things and coming back and almost single-handedly or single-leggedly winning the, the World Cup for Australia, he has then gone to watch Brett Lee perform on stage after the BBL. And, um, yeah, apparently he's he's played golf during the day. He's had a few too many and had a little bit too much sun and needed to be carted off to hospital that night. <laughs> oh, was it a hospital case, was it? I thought so. Oh, well, and allegedly got taken off to hospital. No, he was. I'm sure he was oh, taken yeah. off to hospital, yeah. I'm not disputing. I just hadn't picked that. Picked that. And, yeah, I, I looked at I, the most amazing thing about that story is the fact that Six and Out are still doing the doing the rounds. Uh, the the band, Brett Lee's band. Is Richard yeah. Chiqui still playing in yeah, the band? Really good point. I don't know. I, I haven't looked at the, the members. I haven't yeah. seen how they've rotated. I'll, 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 that's yeah. your homework, Paul. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Yeah, look, uh, I think we covered... Glennie Maxwell falling off the back of the go-kart in a red card, yellow card, not that long ago. So he's, he's definitely a repeat offender. So we, uh, we're going yellow? I mean, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a pretty How extreme How many yellows thing to... do you, can you give a guy before it comes a red? That is a good point. Second yellow to red. Yeah, but this was his third. What happens now? No. We start again? Oh. Maybe. You know, Are but they wiped clean after could... the second? What, what happens? We may not have covered his first one. So I'm thinking oh. from a for and against point of view. Right. I'm saying definitely a second yellow. So let's let's dish out a red. Done. I'm not going to get too bogged down in, uh, in 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 these sort of details, Steve. I'm going to move on to my one. I just cannot go past David Warner, keeping it with the cricket theme, uh, and the circus that was the apparent loss of his treasured baggy greens, two of them, on the eve of the SCG Test. Uh, anyone that has a passing interest in cricket will recall that it had the nation enthralled. Admittedly, when not much else is on, uh, an impassioned plea from Warner for their return was followed by his old man getting on radio and seeking everyone's help to find them. I admit I checked behind our couch just to be sure. Uh, Cricket Australia Chief Executive Nick Hockley uh, got in on the act, uh, and then the flaming PM saw a, P- uh, a PR opportunity, and uh, Albo repeated the message on camera as well. It's hard to overstate how big a deal this was. And, of course, everyone was saying, woe betide anyone found to be, to be behind this outrageous loss. And I think, in fact, Warner Senior called any such people scumbags. If someone's behind this, they're scumbags. Anyway, so Cricket Australia and hotel and airport and security staff were scurrying around for days in two cities, because they just come up from Melbourne, checking bags and lost property and all those secret places you stash valuable stuff, all to no avail. And then the baggy greens... They just magically reappeared. Oh, thank goodness. Just like that. Oh, thank yeah, goodness. Yeah, exactly. With, somewhat tellingly, questions of where they were found somewhat sheepishly deflected. Now, after many days of persistence from the best investigative journos in the land, I think today, tonight, might have been involved, uh, it turns out that these baggy greens were never lost at all. What? They were found more or less where they should have been, in a backpack that was in a bag that was in a huge pile of cricketers' luggage at exactly the hotel this team was staying at. Uh-oh. They were found. The nation could breathe once more. So I am nominating David Warner for a red card for wasting incalculable resources, including the time of so many people, 
and uh, inducing untold anxiety across the land by not keeping his room tidy, <laughs> or at least remembering where he packed things. Red card, happy with that, Steve? It's almost like a farewell red card. I love it. Done. <laughs> Good point. Thanks for your company, David. Yeah, appreciate it. And what a what a great send-off here at Foreign Against for Davey Warner, at least from the test regime. Uh, and with the conclusion of Red Card, Yellow Card, that brings us to the end of this edition of Foreign Against. So fare thee well, Stephen Riley. See you, Paul. See you, everyone. Yes, goodbye from me. Don't forget you can get us on Twitter, or I suppose I should actually start calling it X, shouldn't I? You really uh, should. At Foreign Against underscore. Uh, and an email if you ever want to get us for and against at hotmail.com. I would tell you about our Insta page, but I think we need to do a bit of work on that. Um, I, 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 but before we go, Steve's dying to jump in. Yeah, look, I didn't want to say anything earlier, but Fang is a little out of date now as well because Facebook yeah, is really known as sense. Meta and Google's known as Alphabet. So you're going to have to work on an updating your acronym. But we'll sort that out before the next show. Good pick. We'll take that offline. Yep. Thanks, Dave. Pick up, Steve. Nice one. All right. Uh, on that note, it's goodbye also from me, Paul Roach. Fairly will join us again in a couple of weeks' time for the next edition of Foreign Ants. Yeah.